All right. Start us off with some random intro. Random intro? What are you talking about? My intros are scripted out. This is the way it's supposed to be, just as it was intended. What is it? Insert your deity here intended it to be that way. Yeah. And subscribe. Oh, and some number episode, insert number here. But it's Ooh. off by one, so. <laughs> I'm Who Michael. Are you? Thank you. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Joe. What I'm, I'm waiting Alan. for is I, I keep messing with the, with the episode intro, and I'm hoping to just like one day Alan's going to lose it. Like he's, <laughs> like he's going to go into a full meltdown twitching, you know, and, you know, yeah, he, he's going to explode. I'm close every time. Yes, it's, it's well, we might hit happen. gold. We'll figure out like, that is the one that we're doing from now on. What? <laughs> what? Uh, I, not, not this one, but the future one. Maybe we'll be like, this is the one. That was it. No, uh, how we're gonna do it? No, this this is this is the way. It's evolution. Right. Yeah, can't take it. All right. So, what, what are we talking about today, Jay Z? GitHub Actions. I'm excited. I'm pumped. All right, Jay Z is pumped about GitHub. I'm so, pumped about GitHub. So people are coming on board here. All right, I'm but excited. first, but first, we have Outlaw reading names because <laughs> it always goes well. <laughs> wow. I got this. I got this. Stand back. So Way back. No, no, never again. <laughs> Thank you very much. Joe Recursion Joe. Viv or Viv and the original Nicholas. So thank you. Oh, all for uh, your reviews. Some of those were second reviews, I believe. Um, some of those were also like, hey, I'm doing this so you never le- ask for another review again. So it's going to be awkward later on in the episode. But nevertheless, really do appreciate that you took the time. But hold up. It could have been no none. No, because Varegan. <laughs> yeah, now you're just making up words. <laughs> See, no, non ever. Th- I got that proper noun. Like that one was one that I got right. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. All right, so I have this is this is I guess a, a little story to share. So my my PC, my desktop. You know, I built that thing. God, same time I think we all did, like three or four years ago. It's been a little while, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, I got a Samsung. I think it was an 850 Pro, and those things were hyper expensive, so I got the 512 gig. Well, it's been getting on my nerves of late because I'm constantly having to go and clean files up on there, um, especially doing the audio recordings and all that kind of stuff, and I'm like, man, I'm tired of dealing with this. So, you know, trying to support (laughs) local-ish businesses, um, I went up to Micro Center, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to get a new SSD. So... While I'm there, I'm like, man, everything's on sale. So I, I got a two a two terabyte, sixty five hundred read, um, six thousand write speed, two terabyte SSD for like a hundred and ten bucks, right? And I'm like, all right, that's sweet. They also had a four terabyte SSD NVMe on sale for less than two hundred, and I was like, okay, done. I'm getting them both. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm cracking this thing open. <laughs> I want to be able to see my RAM and and something prettier over the top of my CPU. So I went ahead and got a water cooler, right? So all all great, right? Get it all in there. Everything's working. Well, lo and behold, so I'm actually kind of irritated with myself. I'm like, man, I remember having like three and a half or two and a half inch SSDs mounted to the back of of the, the case section. 
Dude, I had a whole two terabyte SSD that I didn't even have registered in Windows that was just sitting there not being used for I don't even know how long. I mean, it has to have been two or three years. Like, I don't know. I was I was a little ashamed. You can lose those things for sure. Dude, like when I when I started scrolling through the drives that it said unallocated space, I was like, why do I have two of these things in here? (laughs) Yeah. But let's talk about the real thing here. Like, which one, which drive did you get? Okay, so um, I went, the the two terabyte fast one is actually the Micro Center brand. Oh, um, really? So I, I've had good luck with it. I replaced the one in my PS5 with one of those things, and it's been golden, like, for over a year. And I was like, you know what? I'll go ahead and do it. And I inland. It's the Inland Gaming Performance or something. Uh, I probably still have the package laying here somewhere. But yeah, I mean, it's super fast and it was like 110 bucks. And I was like, okay, like that's, and it has a heat sink on it, right? Whereas a lot of the ones, even, even when you spend more than that, they don't. And I was like, all right, I'm doing that. And then the other one was a crucial. The four terabyte was a crucial. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I mean, I'm going to have this thing for a while. And and I had to refrain from being like, well, I mean, I went this far. <laughs> so I'll get a processor and a motherboard. Oh, you went and, all. No, I didn't. I almost oh. did. Oh. But I have a 3900X. Like this was a Mac yeah. daddy processor just a couple of years ago. And it still sells for like 350 bucks. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't really use it that much, you know, but of course I was eyeballing some, you know, 4080s. And <laughs> some, you know. So one of my boys just rebuilt his and went with the Samsung 990 Pro, yeah, two terabyte, yeah, seven thousand four hundred and fifty megabytes per second. Yeah, they're insane. Yeah. And I looked at that one, but it was like double the price for like. You well, know. he didn't pay double. Was it not? Not on Amazon. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like one thirty five right now on Amazon. Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, I mean, is I, it real I, though? Did you check? It's real. That's right. You, you got to compare the picture to what's on <laughs> yeah. Samsung's website. Yeah, that's so true nowadays, man. That's so that's irritating. Sad. Yeah, don't I like? I almost refuse to order a USB drive off Amazon anymore because I'm like, what kind of nonsense are they going to send me? That's going to install some garbageware on my computer. So, which which water cooling did you go with then? Um, deep cool. So okay. I was looking up reviews on all kinds of stuff. I, I love this thing. It's gorgeous. It's pretty. My, it can't hear it. I'm kind of shocked though, because like you were such a fan of the Noctua that I can't believe you didn't go with that. So I don't like the way it looked. And I looked up, so I went through, man, you know how we do. When you start looking for things, you read 5 million reviews, you watch a thousand YouTube videos. I've probably got, five days invested in this one little decision, right? Um, but Only there was, five? There was, wow, that's pretty good. Right? Yeah. I mean, but this is like a $140 purchase. Like, it's way too much time for that. But but no, I mean, the thing is amazing. I, I had seen some reviews on it where they said that this thing with the newer processors with the higher TDP, it's one of the best on the market. Like, it's one of the few that can actually keep them cool when you overclock them. And I'm like... Dude, if they'll do that for the new stuff, it'll absolutely keep this cool, and I'll never hear it. And that's what I want. I, I want zero noise out of my machine. And it looks cool. 
So it's definitely not as compact, but have you checked out the Noctua Chroma Max Black? I did see it, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's what my son put on his. It's it's pretty nice. They make good stuff, nice man. I, I've been very happy with the Noctua stuff that I've that I've used, but yeah, I wanted I wanted something with a little bit of bling to it, like not crazy RGB stuff, but it's really pretty. Like the deep cool thing on there is gorgeous. Yeah, I just so. like the water cooling, just aesthetically, like how it just opens up everything. So everything much more, that you know? that is what I wanted, dude, and it looks so good and. With the fans, like the Noctua is like what I had, it covered up your RAM slot. So if you ever wanted to get in there and add more RAM, like you've got to unmount everything. And I was like, I'm done with that. I, I want I want something that I can just stick in there and be done. Well, specifically on that um, Chroma Max, the, it's even worse than that. Because depending on the, the height of your RAM and everything, you might not even be able to... It comes with two fans and you might not be able to fit the second fan yep. unless your case has enough room that you can position the second fan kind of offset to the first. Yep. So, I mean, you're not necessarily getting like the full advantage of where they wanted to ideally place it, but, um, so, you know, and like in the case of my son's, um, case and motherboard, he couldn't with the Ram that he picked, he couldn't fit the second Mm. fan. Which is like a, it feels like you just threw money away, right? I mean, the whole point is to be able to to blow air across those things, but well, but I mean, you still have the other fan, you still you have do. the single, you know, fan, yeah. but yeah, that's the one thing that's kind of unfortunate about the way that you know it, it's wildly popular, like eleven and a half thousand, you know, four point eight stars on you know eleven thousand four hundred reviews, so wildly popular, but yeah, unfortunately, it uh. It, it it's just gigantic and it just depends on how you're going to do it. But also too, some of the problem, the problem with some of the water cooling is even though you can aesthetically like have this big open clean area, right? Because you got to think about it from like even an airflow perspective, right? That if you can have less things in the way, then air can move more freely throughout totally. the case. Right. I mean, that's just me thinking, you know, I hope logically, but, um, the problem with unless you're going to build your own water cooling solution, you know, if you're going to buy, if you're going to use like an off the shelf water cooling solution, sometimes where that radiator has to be positioned relative to the length of a uh, hose that is attached to the CPU mount and the flexibility of it and everything, it kind of, it's, it's, uh, Almost unfortunate, because like in one of my boys, his he went with water cooling, but according to the manual, ideally where you wanted to have the hose come out of the radiator, I believe was on the bottom of. So like I, you know, per the manual, ideally you want to mount the uh, radiator vertically with the hose at the bottom, right, Mm -hmm. coming in and out of it. And, you know, in his case, he like wasn't able to do that. So he had to position it where it was um, coming out of the top, which, you know, the whole point is to try to get like maximum efficiency in terms of the cooling. And already it was like, oh, well, we're already starting at a disadvantage where we we can't mount it on the top of the case because of the case and the motherboard. And we can't mount it where the hoses are at the bottom. So whatever. 
Yeah, it, it's it's all a, a pain. And you know, one of the other funny things is when I got the water cooling, I didn't even think is the, are the fans supposed to blow in or out? And so <laughs> I had to look all that up because I'm I'm going through it, and they're like, "Oh, you should really be pulling air in." And I was like, "Okay, all right, I can make that happen." Well, that also depends on how you're mounting mounting the radiator. So, like, I have my radiator mounted on the top, so my fans are blowing out, pulling out. Yeah, mine's on the front and it's sucking air in. So right. yeah, I don't. It, it was again. It's one of those funny things. Like you get in there, you're like, I'm going to do this one thing. You're like, well, well I'm in there, might as well. <laughs> you know, That's I true. mean, why be there? Yep. And that was uh. So when I built this one, that was 2019. So that was four years ago. I think that's me too. Yeah. I don't know because I think yours was before that because that year for the shopping spree you bought. You you were in the buy category rather than build. So so I ended up replacing the processor later though because I think I told you guys I screwed up and bent one of the pins on the processor and it was later when things started using that that address in the CPU that things started crashing so I had to replace the motherboard and the processor so oh, most okay. of the components I still have there but um the the motherboard and processor are relatively new you so, you bent yeah. a pin on the motherboard. Uh, yes. Yeah. Cause I was like, how old was this processor that it still had pins on it? No. Yeah. The, the mother and dude, those things are so tiny. So like I tried to move them back with the, with like some tweezers. No, man, (laughs) no, didn't happen. I'm surprised it lasted as long as it did though. It, It went for a year and a half before it started having some like real, like memory address problems. You know, the shame of it though, like the, the really sad thing about the, remember the old school processors where the pins were on the processor, right? Mm hmm. Those were perfect for like, you know, little beard combers, you know, sad that those went away Uh, because they were amazing. What? Uh, No, didn't do that. Uh, Come on. I comb my hair hair with that. I hate, I hate having a well-groomed beard. I like it wild. (laughs) You're going to do it. Do it. Okay. I concur. Well, that makes this GitHub actions thing weird then. All right, let's do it. Uh, I also like things weird, so let's do it. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, GitHub Actions. I've been playing with it a little bit. Um, I figured it'd be cool to kind of go over the major concepts and just talk about uh, some of the experiences I've been having with it. And then I'm going to try and convince y'all that it's like the best thing ever. Done. And All right, well, episode's <laughs> over. I think, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to be able to sell you on it um, because uh, it's, the thing is uh, it's not anything really amazing or new or crazy or different in the world. Uh, there's CI solutions, CI CD solutions from other companies, um, but it's some of the integrations and stuff I think are super cool, but we'll get there. Uh, so first, let me tell you a little bit about <laughs> what it actually is. So it's a CI CD platform, by which I mean a continuous integration, a continuous deployment platform uh, that was launched in 2018. And it lets you define and automate workflows. We've talked about CI, CD, you know, a lot. So I don't think we necessarily need to go in there too deep. But basically, it just means um, when I say something like that, I mean that when people check things in, it's responsible for seeing that something got checked in and it's going to kick off some things. It's usually going to do a build, maybe run some tests, maybe deploy some software for you. Uh, That's kind of like the basic definition of it. And something that, uh, you know, most places, I think, anywhere you're working, it's probably going to have nowadays i don't know about smaller shops it's been a, been a minute for me but i would think that most places would be doing this sort of thing by now if you're working in a traditional kind of software establishment right um, i think is that true i think a lot of places do i i mean 
one of the last conferences I went to, uh, or maybe it was a podcast I was listening to. I can't remember. Somebody was talking about the very first thing they did when they set up a project was they set up all those, you know, those things. So I think, I think at least developers are well aware of how much time and pain it can save them to do this stuff nowadays. Right. Okay. Man. I mean, if you're not in the year 2023, then we need to have a talk, right? Yeah. Like good point. If you're still like, oh, hold on, we need to get a new build out. Let me boot up the laptop that does the builds because it right, has yeah, the certs yeah. on it. Yeah, or 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 um, log into the VM where we have all the stuff set up. Like, no, yeah, you, just work on the server. Yeah, if you're using GitHub or or Azure or any number of things now, Joe's about to tell you something about it. Yeah, so chances are you're already probably doing some stuff like this. You might even be using GitHub Actions, but they they are a new player. So 2018, you know, unless you started your project in the last five years. Uh, then this probably wasn't even an option for you and you're probably using some sort of leg- legacy system. But I think most developers probably have a GitHub account by now. You know, even if it's not for work, you're probably doing something uh, on the side of you just had to create one for one reason or another. Uh, it's probably its biggest competitor is uh, GitLab CI. Just, it's another solution that's like embedded in with the uh, source control system. And theirs has been around for longer. I didn't look up when it um, was started, but it's it's very similar. Like uh, I looked at some solutions that had both and it was like, you compare like almost like file per file. Uh, so, you know, but I first started looking at this, I was like, okay, it's kind of cool, but it's like other things I've seen. Like we've talked about Azure DevOps. We've talked about, uh, I think circle CI or travel Travis CI, or there's other solutions out there. Um, but this one I think is particularly cool. And I'm super jazzed about it uh, because it integrates so well into github.com and no surprise, also with the Git paradigms. And this is why I think, or not, not I think, I'm going to try and sell you on this solution over other ones. Because it's really based around Git paradigms. Repositories, branches, tags, pull requests, hashes, uh, immutable ref logs, all that stuff. It's At its core, it's built around Git. And I think that's really cool. And it works really well with GitHub because... Guess what? GitHub is also built around those concepts as well. I was, I was going to say, like going back to the competitor thing, uh, you know, I, um, I mean, you eventually mentioned Circle CI and things like that, but I was also kind of thinking, like, y- you mentioned Azure DevOps, but I was like, that was my first go-to. Is like, oh man, Azure DevOps for the win because it was still so fantastic, and a lot of the features that. I feel like Azure DevOps was ahead of the game compared to GitHub, at least just comparing those two. And there's now things coming over from Azure DevOps to GitHub. Like, you know, when you're reviewing a pull request, for example, like even the display of it, as dumb as it sounds to have that tree view on the left, right? It's like, why did that take so long, man? Like, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, you know, I wonder how similar it is, you know, and, and there, some of the things where like Azure DevOps would like, because it, it would have your repo and your CI CD platform all together. You know, it could automatically do yeah. builds just like the GitHub actions. It, you know, Oh, Hey, if this, if this passes the the build and all the tests, go ahead and merge it and delete the branch. I don't care. Be done with it. Yep. Right. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And that's uh, that's all the kind of stuff we're going to see here. I think um, Azure DevOps, and before that was called Visual Studio Online, it yep. had the concept of pipelines, I think. That was what they called it. Oh, but you, the, that was so gross compared to what they eventually got to, though. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how similar it is. So uh, GitHub Actions. Action is the like the atomic unit. It's the thing that actually like runs a line. It's the smallest piece. Uh, most of the time when you're talking about GitHub Actions, the product, we're actually talking about workflows. And workflows are kind of like this higher level construct that you use to orchestrate jobs, which are made up of steps, which eventually run actions. Um, and it can run on uh, either GitHub virtual machines, which is the default, or uh, you can even provide uh, your own servers. So you can, of course, you know, provide containers, stuff like that. But I thought it was pretty cool that they'll actually uh, run stuff in your data center if you want. It'll just kind of orchestrate it. You just kind of base an image or, or whatever off their runner so it knows how to kind of communicate. Um, but that was pretty cool for enterprise type stuff. And, of course, you know, GitHub has their own enterprise-type product, too, which is nice. So this is kind of – I started getting excited here because I was like, well, this is kind of cool because this is something I can use on my own at home – my personal GitHub account, and then there's chance, uh, you know, my job's going to use this or my next job's going to use this or, you know, it's it's something that's uh, at least going to be similar to other solutions because all these solutions are kind of similar. So this seems like a good way for me to get my foot into DevOps, which has traditionally been a really hard thing to get into, you know, when you're talking about clouds and builds, and that's all stuff that you kind of need to have an ecosystem around to even get your foot, you know, foot in the door. Or yeah. get your feet wet. Or, That's the one. That's yeah. the one. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember though the name. Like, and I, I don't know why I can't think of it right now. It's like Net something. There was another where like you could do free hosting, and it could be tied into like as soon as you push to your repo, it would do all the builds. Netlify. And then, Netlify. Thank you. Yeah, like, that's, that's what Joe got his his feet wet with. Yeah, yeah, I love Netlify. They're still doing it, and uh, Vercel has a product now. Um, I think it's called Vercel. Okay, so <laughs> it's built around Next.js. We'll yeah. put a pin in it, but because originally, eventually, I'm going to want to know like what you thought of like that experience versus this one. But we'll come okay. back to that. Yeah, great. Uh, so uh, GitHub Actions are free for standard GitHub runners. Uh, I think I got yep a note here. So for a free account, you get two thousand free minutes, uh, which is computer minutes. So if things run in parallel, for example, you're going to have to add those things together, and it'll tell you how much it's using. And I did probably hundreds of uh, runs this weekend when I was kind of working on stuff. And I used like, I don't know, 200 minutes, you know, so nothing uh, setting this thing up, which is really nice. So, you know, as a personal developer, just working on a small project, I think that 2000 minutes is going to be way more than you're going to need. And this per month, this per month, uh, this per month. Yep. Okay. You also get 500 megabytes uh, for free, which is not huge. Um, it, uh, the storage and that's for things, uh, for, that you can use for, for all sorts of stuff, but, um, they have a kind of a built in solution, kind of similar to Artifactory called GitHub packages, uh, which is, uh, another separate project, uh, project, uh, sorry, product, uh, from GitHub. And it basically lets you host artifacts. So things like images, like Docker images, of course, but also, um, Java jars and .NET DLLs or, uh, if you want to use like a NPM, NPM packages, stuff like that, or just arbitrary file storage. Uh, so you're like saying that. this 500 megabytes is whatever the assets are that are built that you're trying to store. Yep. Okay. And this so you can blow past 500 quick. Very quick. I, I'm working on game stuff. So, you know, my artifacts for a published bill is like 60 megabytes. So that is uh 50 megabytes or 500 <laughs> megabytes total. So, uh, that just means I can't go over that. So I just have to be careful about like deleting artifacts and uh, replacing artifacts rather than just having a long list of artifacts. You know, that's for my personal account. If you're on a GitHub pro account, you get 3000 minutes and one gigabyte. So it's not huge. Uh, and then they've got some other pricing options there. If you're enterprise and stuff like that, 
but I was just surprised to see how much, or I should say how little the difference was between uh, the free tier and the, the first paid tier, uh, which is pretty cool. So uh, here's a couple examples of things you might do with workflows. Uh, you can automate builds and releases whenever a branch is changed, and that could be either on uh, like a push, so like a commit, for example, or a pull request. A uh, pull request obviously hasn't been committed yet, but you can run that stuff and kind of run it on the side there and make sure it's going to work before you allow it in. So it lets you do like build gates, stuff like that. Uh, running uh, tests, linters, things like that on pull request, you know, or after. Uh, you can automatically create or assign issues. Uh, you can assign, you know, labels to issues or issues to people. You can make updates in a wiki if you want to for some reason. Remember, GitHub, GitHub has pages where you can host a website based on GitHub and it's backed by GitHub. Okay. Works great. So but based on your experience with this, though, um, when it comes time, because like, okay, so everybody's going to have their own build chain, right? It's nice to say like you could simplify this thing for things like a JavaScript or whatever where it's like, you know, node-based or something like that. But you know, when it comes time for build chains where it's like, well, I need this very specific version of Java. Uh, I want this version of spring or whatever. Like that's where I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, that the, the container, you know, where you, the, the, the container that you said you could like build your own image off of their image and they could run a container to do it. Right. But was that only for, if you were going to run the, your container locally, you could specify here's the Docker image I want you to run whenever you do the build. Yeah, so you can do uh, so you can say here's my image I want you to run as this container, and so that job runner is going to run as that container. Uh, but you know what surprised me is uh, it's actually there's um, three other operating systems you can do like Windows, Linux, or something else. Um, I think it's two different kinds of Linux. So you can say I want my runner to run on Ubuntu latest, not even a container. Why would you want to do that sort of thing, right? We love containers. Well, it's great for things like um, those issues I mentioned or automatically closing stale issues in GitHub. I mean, you can make a container if you want to, but if you've got like a one-line bash command that you want to run as a job, why bother creating an image? You can just create a workflow for it, throw it in there, run it on Ubuntu-latest or you know whatever specific version you want, and you're done. Well, I guess what I was trying to get to is like, those times where you have a very specific tool chain. <coughs> yeah. Excuse me. But like, you know, um, okay, let, let's pick on our old friend. Um, you know, let me introduce you again to Mr. EXTJS over here. Like yep. if you wanted oh. to do something like that, right. If you have, you know, cause it has its very own specific builds. So that's why I was asking like that, but yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah. So, you know, of course, like, you know, container is super powerful. You can do what you want. But I'm kind of curious about this, uh, so I'm going to check it out. So if you go to github.com slash marketplace. Okay. Right? And, you know, I love Docker. I think Docker's a new Git. It's fantastic. But I'm going to search for apps for actions. Do you love Docker or do you love containers? I love both. Uh, I do love both. Docker's great, even though sometimes I worry about them. Okay, so this uh, is these are all the things that you can do with GitHub Actions in in the marketplace. Yeah, this is the marketplace, and the marketplace is kind of a weird term for it because I have yet to find one that you can pay for, even if you wanted to. EXTJS uh, does not exist there. It doesn't have one, which is uh, surprising to me. So I thought maybe they would have published one. They should. Sencha, uh, the, the company that owns them now, uh, should absolutely create a GitHub Action for this because it makes sense. 
Uh, I'm going to search for React because I'm sure somebody's done this. Oh, there's lots for React. Yeah, I should have probably done one that's less than. <laughs> there's oh my gosh. Let me search for like React build or something. Maybe I should remember the name wrong because like the there's the Azure pipelines that's like front and center on the GitHub Actions, but I could have sworn that was the older name of the Azure DevOps one. Now I want to go back and find out. Uh, I'm just going to uh, search for Angular because I found it easily. So if you search for Angular. Uh, then uh, there are a bunch of actions for Angular, and a, a bunch of them are kind of similar. So to finding the one you want is going to be a, a challenge because I'm seeing uh, 18 results. So just clicking on the first one. Uh, what this is is it this is an action. Remember, I said action is the kind of small most atomic unit that somebody else has created that lets you specify arguments like your version of Angular. And behind the scenes, they are maybe using Docker. Maybe they're just installing everything you need on that Ubuntu latest VM. Maybe they're doing some stuff on a, a server that they're hosting in their own data center. All that stuff is up to them. But somebody has taken the time to put together an action that presumably does what it says it's doing. In this case, an Angular build, which is pretty nifty. Mm. So, you know, I wouldn't trust somebody, some random person's Angular GitHub build. But if you search for Docker in the marketplace... See here, Docker has a big check mark. Uh, they are a verified creator. It's basically, you know, GitHub's taking the time to give them a special check mark. Uh, GitHub has all sorts. Sorry, not GitHub. Docker has all sorts of interesting actions uh, for things like building images and publishing images to um, repositories, things like that. Uh, all sorts of different stuff that you want to do with Docker. They have uh, things that they've set up for. They have actions set up for it that you can reuse, which is really nice. So that is pretty cool to me. The whole marketplace thing is pretty nifty. But um, I think we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit just because it's like, you know. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's right. This is episode 218. Come on, you know. Yeah, you know by now. I I do like, though, that like, I mean, okay, so going back to the pipeline thing, I, I, I guess I was wrong there because it did look like oh, I did some other searching and, you know, Azure pipelines, code is pipelines and things like that. So um, I guess I was just remembering that wrong. But I, this does remind me similarly to what we were able to do in Azure DevOps where, you know, you're like, oh, let's, what's available? Like, what are other tools that are available that I could just like bake into my, uh, my pipeline here, I guess technically like even for example, you know, Jenkins has a similar concept too with plugins that you can add in and you, and there's like a way to like to, to search like what plugins are available that I could like add into the uh, process. And that's uh, the gist, uh, just about, you know, the marketplace and how it works. What I really like about it though, is uh, in that marketplace, if you click on any of those actions, every single one of them takes you to a repository. And the repository has the documentation in the readme and it's got, uh, you know, it usually has like releases. It's got tags, stuff like that. Uh, but I mean, it's a good GitHub repository. So the work might be done in some other server and you can't really see, you know, necessarily what, you know, the work's being done. Although every single one I've looked at, you can see it right there in the repo. So it's essentially open source, you know. Um, but what's cool about it is this is Git, right? Git is mutable. You can't go back in time and change a, a commit hash to point to some other file contents or something like that, right? If you have the commit hash, it's always going to point to that content. 
because it was generated from that content. Hey, so, right? so real quick, real quick, you said it takes you straight to it. So what I saw is, so I clicked on Docker Scout just just as an example here. It didn't take me to the to the repo. It looks like it took me to a page that was basically the readme. Um, but over on the right, it does have a link straight to the repo that has all the code in it. So you can see exactly what it is. And it is the okay, same yeah. readme. Um, yes, so right. it, it, is, it is a link deeper, but it does look like it's, you know, you can get straight to the code so you can see what they're doing, right? Like nothing's hidden from you. Yeah, which I really like because it means everything is, uh, that I've looked at has been one click away. So I'm sure there's somebody doing proprietary stuff, but I haven't found it yet. It depends on which one you're looking at because um, the apps are different than the actions. Yeah, and apps are not actions. Yeah. So you cannot use apps directly in your uh, workflows. So that, that link that Alan's referring to isn't on the right is what I was getting at. Oh, okay. No, mine was. So my, mine was action. Docker Scout. For action, yeah, yeah, and I'm saying for an app, if you if you w- go back to oh, the, the app doesn't slash marketplace, to it. you're not yeah. going to see that link there. Yeah. yeah, you can't get to the GitHub repo because this is it looks like it's behind a paywall. Like I'm looking at the Circle CI one but as I, an example. I, I want to like okay. go back and just uh, very specifically, you know, uh, your comment that you were talking about about Git being immutable. So in going back to like. Our, our friend uh, that we greatly miss Azure DevOps, w- right? Where you were doing all your pipeline and YAML there. And you could very specifically like specify the version of any given thing that you wanted to use, right? Yep. It looks like if I'm reading some of these examples too, it's almost the same syntax as the Azure pipelines as at, you know, YAML. Which where makes like, sense, right? You're, it's all about know, Microsoft, both of them. Yeah. Where where you're specifying like at and then the version number to pin it to a given version, right? Yeah, and that corresponds with a tag. But that's not the only way you can do it. Uh, you, so you can do the at and v4, or whatever they call the tag. You know, the uh, the name is up to them. You can also do a commit hash and say, I'm using this commit hash for this action Ooh, right like now. That. Yeah, I I thought you would like that. And you take it. You don't even have to tag it. It It can be a work in progress type thing. Well, because they could delete the tag and re-tag a different hash if they really wanted to be evil, right? Yeah. Especially I was thinking like where my mind went to this was like, okay, if I if I use one of these tools from the marketplace, right? And you know, because like the the build chain now from a security point of view is is under more scrutiny than it used to be in years past, right? And you don't want attackers to be able to get into your build chain. So if I'm the attacker, the first thing I'm going to do is like, okay, let me get some uh, tool that's already in the marketplace that's either widely available or let me like, you know, put something out there that looks real. And I, now I'm going to inject something into that. So that's why I was kind of curious about like, okay, how can I be sure that like this is the very specific thing, you know, the action version of the action that I want that can't be, um, you know, changed without my explicit consent of changing it. So, you know, by using the SHA, like you mentioned, then, you know, that, that can get me there. Yeah. And I love that because um, the SHA is some new made up concept, you know, whatever that they kind of introduced for this. Like we understand what that is. Like we know how to go check out that repository and look at that SHA and pull up that commit and see when it, when it happened, who did it, you know, what the circumstances were, which is really nice. 
So uh, if you look at, like, I think Docker's examples for their GitHub actions all uh, pointed to specific commits. So, like, this is the commit that this example works for, and it's always going to work for this example because it can't change. Nobody's going to go and update. You know, you can't. It literally points to this, and it's always going to point to this. And if we make some change in the repo or something, then the commit might not be there. We could delete the repo, but this is going to work. So I thought that was really cool. Yep. Agreed. And you can also, if uh, you know, on the flip side, if you're like, you know what, I, uh, I don't, I, I want to get the latest security updates. So if Docker changes how they do a build uh, in a, a minor point release, then I want to get those changes. Then I could do uh, it's, it supports semantic versioning, so I can say, just give me at you know v4, and if they do a dot four dot or sorry four dot eleven four dot twelve four dot thirteen, I will constantly get the latest minor version of it. I love poking around here and seeing like some of the. Pay- uh, companies and people that have actions out there. Of course, Datadog has an, an action oh, out yeah. there. Dude, they are everywhere. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, so, um, you know, as for who uses actions and uh, if you're going to set up your actions and you want to kind of get some ideas of like what kind of stuff you might want to do, I, I took a look at a couple of repos. Uh, Kubernetes doesn't use it, um, but TypeScript does. And TypeScript had uh, a pretty nice setup. I looked at VS Code. Uh, their the repo and uh, it was a bit of a mess uh, actually it was like there there was a bunch of uh, workflows and stuff that they weren't using anymore that have been broken for months and stuff like that so I was kind of surprised to see that but um, the cool thing is if, if you go to any repo uh, actions is a top level uh, tab it's t- just to the right of pull requests oh yeah so uh, you can click on actions for any repository and if they have any actions you're going to see them there so uh, TypeScript has a bunch of them. The first one that caught my eye was CI. So I clicked in there, and now I can see how uh, how TypeScript does their builds. And the last one ran 24 minutes ago. It took 21 minutes. And you can click in there. It's uh, Remember, this is all tied in, tightly integrated with the source code. So I can click from this job to go see the actual you know, details of the run. Uh, but I can also click on the file right there. And uh, in this case, it's ci.yml. Uh, all your workflows have to be in a magic folder uh, that's underneath .github in a folder called workflows. So, you know, if any repository has workflows, this is where they're going to be. So now I'm looking at their ci.yml file and I see what they're running. Now, it's made up of a bunch of, uh, you know, different jobs and it, you kind of have to click around to like read everything because it's all, you know, it's all connected. But you can see the versions, uh, how it's set up today on the file, but also for any run. So I can go to a, a run that happened last week and see, uh, you know, just directly like what version of what job, of what action was run. And I can click on that and go see the repository and go look at the actual code that was run. Which is really cool, and it's it's like with GitOps. You know, we've talked about like being able to go back and introspect and see exactly what happened. So, if, you know, build forty eight worked, but forty seven didn't, or you know, forty nine didn't. <laughs> we can go look at the one that did and compare it and see very precisely what changed, which is very cool. And that's the kind of stuff that we're used to with like source control, right? And this is so tightly integrated and just built around the concepts of Git that that stuff just kind of comes along for free. And of course it works because this whole thing is built on Git. Yeah. I'm already loving everything. I'm, I'm like poking around at some of these yeah. and I'm, I'm already like, it reminds me so much of what we were doing back with um, Azure DevOps and the pipelines there. Like, I feel like 
the yeah. three of us, we had to take a step backwards in our CICD processes because yeah, we really did love Azure DevOps. Like we, you, we were taking full advantage of it. I feel like, and we had to take a step backwards and, um, this looking at this, this feels very familiar. It felt yeah, like the syntax they were like two to it. three. Yeah, they were like two to three years ahead of what like GitHub was doing, right? Like GitHub has started oh, yeah. getting all the glorious things that that were in Azure DevOps. It's, it really felt like Microsoft was like, "Hey, all the cool ideas, let's let's play them out in Azure DevOps first, and let's not let's not change GitHub because the world loves it as it is. So let's like try all these crazy cool features over here, and then like you know." Well, I hate to say the cherry pick because I don't want to confuse it, but, <laughs> right. you know, uh, selectively implement those similar features in, in GitHub. But I mean, I, yeah, these, the syntax looks so much like what we were doing before. I think about the, from like a business sense, like what Microsoft had managed to do is they've taken the most popular uh, Git you know, repository hosting service in the world. All these projects have been hosted there, have been for years. And suddenly they've said, hey, here's a really great CI solution that you can use. And if you need to pay for extra minutes, we're here for you. And if you want to host your own, you know, fine, we'll make it easy for you. We'll play nice. But, uh, you know, we're here for you if you want to spend some money. And they, so it's like just overnight, they turn this thing on and suddenly they've got a huge list of customers, you know, potentially lined up to use their product and they made it really easy to, to swap over. Well, I think what's awesome is you said that, and correct me if I'm wrong, if it's a public repo, you basically get this stuff for free. Yeah. Right. So, so you can like, if you're working on an open source project and you don't, and, and you don't have a bunch of automation already, or you do, and you want to simplify it. Maybe you just start moving over to this, right? Um, if you've got a private repo, obviously you're going to pay a little bit more. But, but I mean, just imagine having something like this set up as opposed to having to set up your own Jenkins server and all kinds of other things to to do all this, right? Like it's already there. They have all the tools. It'll probably be cheaper in the long run just to use what they have. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense. Like if you're already invested in GitHub and you're bringing on some new maintainer or something for your open source project, for example, it's kind of stinks that you have to say, okay, well, here's, we've added you to the GitHub organization. Now we're going to go add you to Travis CI. And now we're going to go add you to the Google group so you can see our documents and stuff like that. Like, no, screw all that. Like GitHub gives you issues. It's got the repository stuff built in, like the artifactory type behavior with GitHub packages. Uh, it's got the Wikipedia built in. It's got the releases built in for downloads. It's got GitHub pages for hosting simple, you know, documentation type websites. Uh, it's got the CI/CD solution. Why wouldn't you just stay here? Yeah, you got everything you need. Yeah, yeah. But also, the more that they can do to make it like the default go-to, like the de facto standard, yeah. right? Like. You're not going to okay. Let's let's change it out, right? Like, if 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 Jay Z and I have a construction company and we hire Alan, he's going to like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Use a Stanley hammer? No, 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 no. <laughs> I I insist on my husky, right? Milwaukee, like, my man, Milwaukee. So, so yeah, see, see, see what we started. <laughs> but if it's if it's a uh, you know, if they make it to where like everybody's just familiar with this pipeline, right. Then it's like, well, why wouldn't we do this? So I, I, I was curious though. So in the background, I, I was searching for 
just trying to compare the Azure DevOps pipelines. And oh yeah, I was so right about the similarities between even the UI. Like I'll, I'll put, I'll throw a link out here for you guys to see. There's some similarities in the UI, um, in the Microsoft documentation, similar to the GitHub actions UI. Like when you see like the results of it, right? Oh yeah. It looks identical just about. Yeah. And then, and then check out this link here where, um, our old friend, uh, the, uh, Azure pipelines, YAML, right? Minus the tile, right? Like windows is all about the tile. Look, GitHub doesn't do that. So they styled it different, but there are some similarities in the, in the styling. I thought, but bit. yeah, but, but the point being like, you look at that, look at that Azure. So, so if you're already familiar with the Azure pipeline YAML, for your workflows, then you moving over to GitHub actions is like no brainer. Okay. I've got to interrupt this, this thing for a second because it's been in my mind ever since you guys said the, the nasty word YAML, like what do you guys prefer? Like, so configuration stuff all seems to now be leaning towards YAML, right? Like Kubernetes is all in on the YAML. Um, I mean, there's so many things. Like even Spring, you can do your properties files in YAML. What do you guys prefer? Do you prefer JSON or you prefer YAML? I'm a YAML dude now. Are you really? I don't know when it changed, but yeah. I, and like, I know sometimes it's going to bite me. I'm going to have spacing off and it's going to do something I didn't expect. It and it's going to take me an hour to figure it out. And I just have to accept that. <laughs> and it's going to be an ambiguous error, right? Like yeah. there's going to be nothing that points to what the problem is at all. Yeah. Yeah. And what about you outlaw? Like if you, if you had your druthers, would you, if, if somebody was like, Hey, we need a configuration file. What are you going to do? Are you going to go JSON? Are you going to do a line by line properties file or are you going to go YAML? Cause those are really your three. Well, I mean, I guess you could go XML, but nobody lives in that world. So, no. so by but, properties file, you mean like just name value pairs kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, 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 you know, basically what, what JSON and, and YAML allow you to do with arrays and objects and all that kind of garbage. Like what is going to be your knee jerk reaction to what you're going to do? Okay. So my, my answer is more complicated than Jay-Z's. Because, you know, if, if you had a small app, the name value pair is good enough. Like who cares? Right. Okay. So I, a property I do like the hierarchical kind of approach that, that YAML and JSON can get you. However, I prefer the structuredness of JSON compared to the YAML because it's too easy to like, you know, I, I'm not crazy about white space as a, as a, a delimiter strict as a strict format. Right. Thing, yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I, that's just, it's more obvious to me when like, Oh, this is an array of things, um, you know, versus in YAML, like you f- look at the first time, wait, wait, what happened there? Oh, you know, you eventually get used. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, Jay Z is like, this is all old hat to him, like whatever. But, <laughs> and the only real advantage that I could think of if, if, if you know, if I were put on the spot, I would say like, well, I guess technically YAML is fewer characters because you don't have to have like the brackets for the array and the curly braces for the objects and whatnot. But how much YAML am I expected to write to where like that 
benefit is going to really pay off. And maybe if you're at like Google scale in terms of how much YAML you're writing, then it pays off. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I really don't understand how that's the thing that took off. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, what's funny is for me, if I'm writing something, I prefer it to be JSON because I can put, I know exactly what I have in my array. I know exactly what I have in my object. It's super easy. If I'm reading something, I kind of prefer YAML. So it's, you know, and to be completely honest, they're basically just copies of each other, right? Like, I mean, there's so many translators out there to, to convert back and forth because it's just different syntax for the same outcome, right? So although I think YAML in its language specification has additional garbage built in, right? Like the thing where you can copy blocks and 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 reference blocks and all that so it's actually i guess technically a little bit more powerful but are you going to start writing your logging output in yaml <laughs> I, that's a good idea outlaw no. Yeah. No. I, I will say, um, you're yeah, gonna I do miss, it in json <laughs> yeah. i don't miss the quotes though you know it's it's pretty common to not uh, right. have quotes on strings but that yeah. will also bite you sometimes you know totally like, there are mistakes that are related to that i mean how many times you have you updated a yaml file and you're like you put true in there and it's like oh it needed a string doggone yeah. it i gotta go back and do it again you know yep. i mean i don't know I, I think that's what's so frustrating so at any rate uh, i'm i'm off my derailment we can get back yeah to and all the linters are like you have to quote the property name as well in json right. which is like why yeah why? no you don't you don't need that json shut up yeah <laughs> yeah so uh just for fun I, I took a look at like some of the biggest repositories on github and i, I went to uh, react so facebook react and looked at uh, the repository and they do have actions they also have circle ci so uh, circle ci clicked on the file there and it's cool that you can go see circle ci and you can get some information about how they run things but ultimately, this circleci config.yaml just shows job configs. It doesn't really show how it's built, how it's organized. You can kind of figure out some stuff, but ultimately, it's a you know configuration file. But you go, we'll look at the workflows, and they're not doing very much. Uh, it looks like they're basically publishing the artifacts on, on GitHub for releases. So if you wanted to come download, you know, React from GitHub for some reason, they're there, and they got some stuff for like uh, issues dealing with closing stale issues, stuff like that. But what's nice about it is like I actually see like line by line, script by script, what they're doing. So if I was writing the next big Angular, you know, competitor, view competitor, whatever, I can go look at, uh, and not even necessarily competitor, but just a similar product. I can go look at how React does their issues, how they deal with uh, their releases, and you know, go see it. And that's something uh, I d- I didn't get from Azure Pipelines because I couldn't really go see other orgs and see how their stuff was set up. You know, it, it wasn't public. Um, there probably was a way to make stuff public, but I never saw one. So it's just kind of cool, like the kind of how well it fits with like open source kind of nature. So like I could probably find some open source game on here. For example, if I wanted to make a, a game pipeline uh, or sorry, <laughs> a game workflow, I can go find some game on here and see how they do it. And it's nice. And you can go click on actions and see the last time it built, see what the output looks like, see, you know, does it. Does it happen on every commit? Does it happen on a nightly schedule? How do they handle nightly builds? Like, how do they handle betas versus alphas versus releases? You know, it's pretty cool to be able to like really have insight into how the organization works and see it in code and versioned. So, yep, <laughs> he was so we're still in the intro. <laughs> Well, we've talked about so much. We're going to just kind of run through pretty quickly. So we said workflows are the kind of highest level concept. Uh, Basically, um, 
a workflow is going to be triggered by some sort of event. So this is going to be like a push, pull request, uh, issue being opened. There's actually a ton of them. You can schedule it to run uh, every night. You can have a manual action if you want to give someone a button and maybe even take a couple uh, simple fields. You can say uh, this one takes a boolean and a number and you know force the user to have uh, to enter some input and it's validated. Um, that's so that's all cool. Uh, some of the issues we've are the examples that we've talked about. Um, you can also see in that TypeScript repository mentioned. So you know, CI does linting, checks builds, does publishes stuff like that. Uh, stale issues. It does code scanning. So uh, on pull request, push, and also on a weekly schedule, uh, like every night at Sunday, I think like one thirty in the morning, it runs uh, some stack analysis on TypeScript, which is pretty cool. Publishes results, uh, can fail a build. And so it can block a pull request if there's something bad enough in that static analysis, which is cool. I thought it was interesting that they also ran it on a weekly schedule. I don't necessarily understand the benefit of that since it seems to be running on every push um, and pull, but whatever. Uh, they also do a, a nightly build, which is pretty cool. And that's something that's kind of common for people to, to grab. So like if you're working in, say, QA or something, it kind of makes sense for you to grab last night's build. And then everybody's kind of in sync with the version that they're testing and talking about. Your your weekly thing though, like you might be building on commits and everything for the, P, uh, you know, when PRs are pushed and whatnot, you know, as part of a build gate thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those are the artifacts you're keeping. So you might still publish oh. a nightly artifact. So you still want to do like a nightly build or a weekly or whatever your cadence is. That's a really good point. And there could be some if down in there that says only publish the report or only send the email if it's the the scheduled run, stuff like that. Yeah. We used to okay. do things like that too. Like, yeah. especially like don't publish the pull request artifacts. Who cares about those? Right. You know, but you might care about those. I don't know what your use case could be. You might be, you know, Jay Z's weird. So whatever. Yeah, I, yeah, I am. Uh, there's a, I do have a little section here on kind of mis- miscellaneous things I wanted to mention, but I did uh, want to mention that they do kind of have some like almost like a scripting language built in. So you can do things like conditionals and stuff like that. Um, you know, just all the basic stuff. So you don't have to bust into bash and like pass around inputs and outputs. If you need to like lowercase something, for example, it's got like some limited support for that. But it handles like a basic stuff like that. So you can do, you know, your conditionals and checking, stuff like that. Uh wanted to mention too, uh, when you're calling uh workflows can call other workflows, uh, you know, whether your own or a, a repository that you have access to, which could be public or it could be something else in your organization, or you know, you can have a lot of control over that. Um, but you uh can pass that version, uh either so a tag or a commit hash. Oh, we had already talked about that, but I just really like that. I really appreciate it. I mean, this is definitely a carryover from Azure DevOps where like the filters that you could put on the branches that you wanted to apply this pipeline to, right? It's the same as what uh, Azure pipelines has. Nice. That part. Yeah, I, I mentioned, I, I mean like oh, other good. platforms have something similar to that, but this one was just so much nicer in my opinion. Yeah. Good times. Uh, the UI, so I mentioned that kind of the fil- filterable history of how things look, which is nice. And you can click on it to go see the exact version. I- I'm sure we've all worked in times uh, or experienced times where you're like working in between two different tools. And so you're like, okay, so this is the build that ran in Jenkins. So let me go back and find the commit hash. And okay, now let me find that commit hash in GitHub or on my local. Okay, and what pull request did that come out of? Okay, and who approved it? You know, all that sort of stuff. Like a lot of that junk just goes away when the stuff's just linkable and right there. 
So I love that I'm already in there. It's one tool, you know, so I, I thought that was particularly cool about kind of having that history and that, that stuff just in a tab in the website. Hey, so what, what else is kind of cool about that? So I'm not logged in to GitHub right now because, you know, I just had to redo Windows and all that stuff. So I haven't logged into everything. But you, it looks like you could actually see the details of what happened in the workflow. So it shows you the steps like in Azure DevOps, right? Like it did this step and then this step and then this step. But it said, hey, if you want to see the log output, then you have to log in. So, I mean, it looks like you'll actually be able to see like the details of the steps that all succeeded in that in that workflow thing. So that's that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I didn't know it even made you log in. I, I, I have been logged in, so I didn't know. But yeah, I've been clicking into like... TypeScript, for example, and like looking at the output of like their playwright tests and stuff. Uh, it's really cool. That's excellent. So, you know, that's, that's all stuff that's in the repository anyway. So, you know, theoretically, you could have kind of found that stuff yourself, but there's something cool about seeing the actual output uh, of the run without having to spin up the repository yourself. Let's see here. Sorry, I clicked away. So, uh, yeah, we mentioned that workflows can call other workflows. Uh, jobs are the next level of indirection. So generally under a, a workflow, you're going to have uh, nested jobs. And jobs, the special thing about jobs is that they are associated with a single runner, which is that machine. So either that runner is going to be Windows-latest or Windows 95 or whatever versions they support. Or you can say, use my container that I've uh, built and I'm giving you access to somehow. Or you can say, here's my remote machine and here's how you authenticate to it. And then the job is just really a kind of a holder for those steps that run. And each of these steps are going to run sequentially. Each step is made up of an action. Uh, but it, it's, the important part is that they're going to run sequentially and they're all going to run on that single runner. The jobs can have dependencies. So you might have a job that does your build and a job that does your publish. And the job that does the publish is dependent on the job that does the build. Um, obviously you can't have those run at the same time. Outlaw thinking about something. Yeah. Outlaw, outlaw looks like he's, he's about to burst with, with love and joy. I'm so excited. <laughs> Knew it. <laughs> but why? So another like reason for like why to use this thing, it's integrated to the GitHub command line. So you can, you can GitHub like run and list all the workflows or view the workflows, rerun a workflow. So you're talking about the, the command line that you mentioned. GH. Some odd, GH. Yeah. The command yeah, line. No, not yeah, odd. Well, well, I mean, no, some odd episodes back. It's oh, been a oh, while oh, back oh. where you were saying, Hey, install the GitHub command line instead of just the GitHub tools and you'll get access to some additional features. So that's what you're talking yeah, about. It's part of that. Yeah, I, I think uh, I wonder if that um, release that command line tool was actually part of this greater strategy, and they just kind of rolled that out first because they, you know, why not? Because uh, you'll see a lot of the examples and stuff are actually using that uh, GH to do things like, say, example, you could have a workflow that assigns uh, that uh, onboards a new email address, sets them up in GitHub, associates them with whatever repositories you select in the dropdown, uh, and you know, gives them a picture and tags them with new user or something like that. So uh, you know, like you can do all sorts of cool stuff with that GH. Yeah, it looks like that was uh, episode 194, by the way. Um, or at least that I've mentioned it one time. I've probably mentioned it several times. But yeah, uh, cli.github.com, if you're not already using it, uh, you're crazy. But, yeah. I mean, it goes to the point of like, uh, you know, if this is already the place that you're at, right? Like the more you're already going there to like merge your, your code and whatnot and check out code or whatnot. 
Now you can view the status of builds and see your build in progress and, you know, block your PR already, like all in the same place. And oh, by the way, if maybe you prefer to do all your PR management from the command line using the uh, GitHub command line, uh, CLI, then, oh yeah, by the way, you can still do all that same management of the, of the build process from the command line. So yeah, I'm super excited about that. Yeah, it's really nice. And you know, um, one thing uh, I had this in miscellaneous too. So jumping ahead uh, once again. Uh, so you know, when you fork a repository, by default, you've got a connection back to that fork. So if you like fork, uh, my, you know, Firefox, for example, and you go to your version of Firefox, it's going to have a little link at the top there that says, "Hey, this is from forked from whatever." And you can break that link. You can go in your repository and remove the config or whatever it is. Uh, that kind of like shows that linkage. You know, it's it's not really it's not a hard whatever. It's just kind of a convention. But uh, there is another config. I, f- I forget what it is exactly. But you can mark a repository as a template. Have you ever seen this? Mm-mm. Uh, GitHub. Uh, it's a GitHub thing. So you can say that my hub, my uh, repository here is a template, and what that means is it's designed for people to uh, fork it and run with it without pushing back to your original. So this is something like uh, I ran into a lot with GitHub Actions, where like. You know, I keep bringing up games. That's because I was. That's what I was messing around with. Uh, I saw somebody saw uh, set up a Godot CI CD solution that would, um, you know, watch your repository for changes to your game. It would build your game. It would build it for Windows and Mac and Linux and web, and it would publish it to, you know, wherever you had set up for publish, like Itch or maybe Steam or whatever. And, you know, obviously there's going to be a bunch of configs and stuff and, you know, things you have to kind of pop in there. But someone just set this repository up as a template because it's literally meant to for you to go check out and then hook up for your game and kind of pop your game into it, like almost like a framework or something. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. And that's something that's not it's not built into Git that way, but it just fits so naturally uh, with the Git uh, mechanisms and the way it works. And if somebody updates that repository, maybe you want to pull those changes in. Maybe you don't. I don't know, but it's an option. Okay, so I was going to ask that. So what you're saying is with a template, let's say they have a bunch of automation set up for that template. You fork that, you automatically get all that automation in your project. However, if it was just a regular Git repo, you forked, you know, somebody, you know, I, I forked your Jay-Z's awesome game. I forked that. I'm going to get your code, but I'm not going to get any of the automation because you didn't have that thing designated as a template repository. Yep. And so uh, it's like some dumb stuff too. Like um, under the actions, there's a, if you go into settings and actions, there are two new things that are there. There's um, variables and secrets. So I think that if you do a clone, that you'll get the variables. And so that's designed for just kind of configurations. Like, do you want to publish to itch or do you want to publish to Steam? Like, true, false kind of stuff. Whereas secrets is going to be things that are irretrievable once you put the data in and they also get masked in logs which is really cool. So GitHub is, uh, is really good about the, the workflows actually know whenever secrets are being used and they know to mask those values. So they're promising you that those are never going to show up in logs, which is nice when you're running an organization, you don't want your keys being leaked out in logs that anyone can see on the internet. I put a couple example, uh, command GH command line options that integrate in with actions for like cash and running and workflows. Oh, nice. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I didn't, uh, so I mentioned, um, 
everything is an action. Oh, this is the next stop, actually, so I'm not jumping ahead. So everything is an action. So uh, when you clone a repository, uh, that's an action. If you want to pool, check out uh, you know, a repository, that's an action. So GitHub has a bunch of built-in actions for things like that that revolve around things you would do on GitHub. Uh, and that's all in the repository under like, I think it's github.com slash actions. And there's like org level stuff. Um, so if you can go look at the checkout action and it's versioned, I think they're on version four right now. So you can use V4 at V4, or you can use a specific uh, commit hash if you want. And what they've done is they've basically put a wrapper around Git checkout for you and does some cool things by default. Like it, I think it does like max depth one by default and it's exposed a couple of variables that you would likely want to change. So maybe you say, I'm doing this checkout for some specific reason. So maybe I want uh, to do a sparse checkout, or maybe I don't want to do a sparse checkout. Maybe I want more depth. Maybe I want less depth. So it's uh, it's done things in a smart, uh, smart way by default, but it's also exposed easy parameters for you to change that would you know be likely to need to be changed when you're doing stuff like this. So... I'm not sure. Okay. So I don't expect you to know the answer and I'm trying to like poke around and see if I can find a quick answer. Cause like we've mentioned enterprise level a couple times, like you wouldn't want your keys being exposed in the enterprise or whatever, but this, this exists in GitHub enterprise. So you might be running your own on-prem instance yeah. of GitHub for your organization and you could still take advantage of these. But then the question that I had come to mind is I was like, Hmm. How does the marketplace work in that scenario? Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a good question. I think you want to be really careful about what uh, actions that you use because uh, you don't want to be exporting your stuff. Oh, but I will say, uh, so there are permissions and by default, uh, all jobs that you call, uh, only have uh, read content, which gives them access to everything that's in your repository, but they don't have, access to secrets they don't have access uh, i think even to convigs i'm not sure about that or sorry uh, variables uh they don't have the access to issues or users or a bunch of different stuff um so anytime that you call uh, an action that needs to do that sorry uh, you call a job it's done at the job level you have to specifically grant it the permissions that you wanted to have and if you don't give it the permissions that you wanted to have and it, you run it and it doesn't have something it needs you know it's going to crash i i would be pleasantly surprised but um, I'm going to assume that if you're using GitHub Enterprise, that you you don't get to use a marketplace. So right? I'm looking like you're because you're already taking on the effort to like do it yourself. I would assume. No, so I'm looking and they have uh, actually. Let me drop the link in here. It looks like there's at least a way to do it. So I just dropped a link there, and if you go, I guess about midways down the page. Yeah, we got lots of links in this one. Um, it's all on line 74. If mm-hmm. you go down about midways down the page, you'll see part five integrating with GitHub. So it sounds like they have some sort of ability to hook up GitHub Enterprise on-prem with public GitHub. And if you set up those connections, then you'll actually have access to the GitHub marketplace. So it, it, my guess is it's something that you have to do explicitly to make this happen, but yeah, so by yeah. default, you're not going to get it. It would be right. my assumption. Yep. But because then, like, I don't know. I'm just thinking of maybe I'm thinking of this from like my security uh, hat is on a little too 
tight and, you know, it's <laughs> covered yours. over my eyes. Cause I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, you know, if I'm taking the, tr- if I'm going through the trouble of like running my own GitHub enterprise instance, right. Then now I'm going to let you like get some external marketplace actions. Like probably well, not. Right. I'm probably well, going to lock that down to where you can't do that. Well, I, I don't know. Like, let's let's think about it in terms of what it's probably doing, right? So the whole reason you'd even run GitHub Enterprise locally is so that you don't have your code out in the cloud somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's more or less it, right? If If these actions and whatnot are basically repositories, right? Like, that was one of the selling points that Jay-Z was saying up front is you can actually go look at the actions. You can go see the code that they've got. If those somehow can basically be replicated locally and then run, oh, they run in your runner, right? So, so they if you run like the GitHub, yeah. yeah, the GitHub checkout action, for example, all it does is run GitHub, you know, Git checkout passes various args, does some plumbing for you, right? So it might be and an outlaw. I'm, I'm totally with you on the on the security hat, but it might be that these things are innocuous enough that you feel okay saying, Hey, I want to be able to run this thing. And and it might even mirror that repo down to your, your local enterprise setup so that you can have access. I think, and without having gone and set it up and looked at all of it, but it would make sense for you to be able to basically say, Hey, I want to use this action. It will use that repository code. Maybe you lock it in on a version and then that way you're guaranteed that you know, hey, this thing that I'm running is exactly what I expect it to be. Yeah, I mean, maybe I just <laughs> totally. I mean, it's it's speculation because we haven't done it, but it it's cool that they have the link there. I, I right? could see where maybe you your uh, your enterprise's IT might have like blessed very 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 specific, mm-hmm. you know actions down to like, here are the permitted shots that will, these are the blessed. Yeah, ones these are the here. versions of those actions you get to use. Right. Totally. I mean, it's cool. It's cool. I, I don't know what the steps would be, but it's pretty awesome that, Hey, if you guys find an action out here that is going to make things extremely easy for us in our on-prem world, let us take a look at it and then we can approve this thing and we can use it. Right. Like that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I want to go. I want to go to this. Let's. <laughs> yeah, let me, yeah. I mean, it's pretty nice. Let me open up yeah, Jira it, real quick. Uh, convert Jira is a GitHub issue. I know, right? Yeah, but yeah. baby steps. But, but hold up, baby hold steps. up. So I actually kept my mouth closed earlier on this, right? Like, because in your mind as a developer, you're like, well, why do we need Jira, right? Like, I don't, I don't need mm-hmm. Jira anymore. But we got to keep in mind too. Typically, when you're talking about a GitHub ticket, it's very code specific, right? Like it's not project or maybe it is. I I don't, I haven't done much in there, but every ticket I've ever seen has been, you know, there's a bug here. We want this feature here as opposed to project planning type stuff. I mean, Jira definitely has so much more and custom fields, custom labels and the filters. And you know, I don't, I could do a little less of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean, I don't know that you have to Again, going back to Azure DevOps, like this is all stuff that Azure DevOps had years ago. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so like it was literally like a competitor to Alassian and uh, Jira at that point. So I don't know. I mean, 
you could write whatever your issues are in either. Yeah, are you going to have epics and all that? I mean, I know that Azure had that stuff, Azure DevOps, or was it Azure DevOps that had? had Azure DevOps, yep. Azure DevOps had it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the documentation for the GitHub issues on it, and like, I'm seeing familiar UIs, like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what it looked like in Azure. But what if I I need to create tickets that have like 70 required fields? Like, I'm not going to be doing that in GitHub. Well, now with the GitHub action, you can have it. Yeah. For next <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Send it over to Google drive or Google form or something. Hey, why don't we just ask, ask chat GPT? Yeah. Which is better Jira or GitHub. I know you yeah, got the tab open there, Joe. Why don't you just do it real quick? Yeah. Let's see. Uh, you know, I've, uh, I've been disappointed with it lately. I have a feeling when we log in here that it's well, not going to be GPT four, right? You shouldn't be disappointed. I'm on GPT three five now because I, I was disappointed and I was like, "Well, I'm not going to get anything from it." And you know, I I, I'm still using it. I'm using uh, Copilot and stuff, and so I'm still in love with it. But it's just uh, see. So we're saying which is better, Jira or for project management? For project management, project management, GitHub issues hmm. or Jira? Atlassian has a comparison page. I wonder which of those <laughs> saying is better. Yeah. <laughs> so GPT is going to say, oh, "I'm not going to tell you the answer." Yeah. Right. Yeah, its answer is it depends. Jira. Oh, so it's no, like a Trump. <laughs> no, no, no. It, I, I did it too in the background. In summary, if you're looking for a powerful and highly customizable project management tool with a focus on a- agile methodologies, Jira may be the better choice. On the other hand, if you're primarily dealing with software development and version control using GitHub, GitHub Issues is a simpler and more integrated option. The choice also depends on your team's familiarity with the tools and your specific project requirements. Some organizations use both tools in tandem for different purposes within their projects. So we haven't had these guys as a sponsor in a long time, um, but it makes you wonder if Clubhouse was doing it right. You know, mixing the peanut butter and the and the and the chocolate, like you know, having that kind of stuff together in one tool so that people aren't having to bounce back mm-hmm. and forth. Maybe maybe they had the right idea. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, and, and Clubhouse, if anybody's listening, hit us up. It's a shortcut right? now. <laughs> Change the name. Shortcut, yeah, I remember. Oh, it's Shortcut, that's right. Okay, yeah. so it's not Clubhouse anymore. And in fairness, Alassian was also, full disclosure, they were a past uh, sponsor as well. So Yes, they were. Full disclosure. Yes. I yes, typed Shortcut, but I got Shotcut and, and Bing. Yeah, that Bing. might be a different. Wait, wait, hold on. Bing. I'm an edge. You Bing? I'm an edge. No, I'm in Edge. <laughs> so the search was on Bing. Purpose? Which yeah. I think doesn't doesn't Bing just default to using Google in the scenes at least at one point in time it did. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I'm, I'm in trouble for that as a Microsoft MVP. <laughs> yeah. Like who here lost a little bit of respect for Alan when he said he binged something? Like raise your yeah. hand. Hey, hey, let me remind you, I just reinstalled Windows, and so Edge is oh. what I have on oh, here. Oh, that's, that's your excuse for it not is. having already reinstalled Chrome. Hey, and even though I was mad at Windows 11, because I'm pretty sure it's what jacked me up, or maybe it was Windows 10. It was Windows 10. I, I actually have a love-hate relationship with both of them right now. At any rate, I'm on Windows 11. So, anyways, back to it. Uh, yeah, so we were talking about actions and, uh, we'll take a break here in a second, but I wanted to mention a couple other things real quick. So, you know, I mentioned jobs, uh, run on each runner, uh, or sorry, each job is associated with a runner. So, um, what that means is if you've got two different jobs, each one's going to need to like check out the code, for example. 
And so if you're if you want to be efficient about things, then you're going to want to bundle things up in smart ways. So on one hand, like my, my first inclination was like, OK, well, I want a job to do a build, a job to do the deploy, because sometimes I want to build and sometimes I want to deploy. And I want to be able to split that stuff up. Uh, it just r- results in a lot of redundant work as you're doing multiple checkouts. And even though that stuff's fast, it just kind of stinks. And I found that um, a lot of companies actually will bundle common actions too. So Docker has a ton of actions out there. But like uh, one of the most common ones is actually Docker build push. And what it does is in a single action, we'll do a build and then push to a repository. And so it just kind of saves you having to do this stuff in multiple uh, different steps and they're so commonly kind of put together and it, it's uh, it's able to use things efficiently uh, which is nice also plumbing inputs and outputs is not really fun All right. uh, and i wanted to mention uh, one last thing which is upload artifact which is another action and what upload artifact is is um this is actually a little bit different from using GitHub packages. There's another one called upload package for that. So if you wanted to uh, like upload a NuGet library or a JSON package or whatever, then you can do that sort of stuff and upload either to your personal or to the, the public, you know, private, whatever, wherever you want to put it. But uh, upload artifact is kind of a special one where it actually just uploads stuff to some temporary storage so it can be used and shared between jobs. So uh, like if you like if you did a build and say you weren't using Docker and you just wanted to like build your DLL or your jar and have it kind of available for the next step, uh, but you didn't want to publish it somewhere because the downside of publishing in like an artifact re- repository is that it fills up. You have to deal with cleaning that stuff out. You have to deal with, oh, someone deleted a version that somebody was relying on and we didn't realize anyone was using that. Like, it just opens up a can of worms. So it's kind of nice to have like a temporary storage day uh, location. And by default, it uh, retains data for 90 days, but it does come out of your 500 megabytes or whatever right. much space you have. So if you if you have the same thing up there with 20 different versions, you're eating into your 500 meg quota, right? But versus the published artifact is like, hey, step one, built some common jar that the other 18 steps might need to rely on. Right. And that way it's not going to build, it's not going to count against your, your uh, package space that you get. That's what you're saying. And then uh, just real quick, I did want to say there's a uh, you can build your own custom actions, of course. You can clone a repository. They've got a convention and a bunch of documentation for that. But then there's also this uh, this kind of basic example, just run, which just lets you run uh, console commands. So if you do like Ubuntu, for example, you can run bash commands. If you do Windows, you can run DOS or PowerShell commands. Uh, and that actually surprisingly takes care of most things you would want to do. I think the real takeaway so far, though, that we've learned tonight is that um, Jay Z is cheating and get ahead of jam- game Jam 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 to January oh, yeah. by already starting. So, <laughs> right when yep. you see his super polished game, you can be like, "Wait, wait a minute!" <laughs> well, I mean, the CI pipeline will be published. I do have it publishing the itch, but unfortunately, I don't know what I'm doing. I did just switch over to Godot because uh, actually, there is a big stink about Unity uh, that started this week. My switching or starting to look at switching has nothing to do with that, but it did have to do with uh, DevOps because you have to buy a seat, uh, which means you can't do the free tier if you want to do any sort of build automation for Unity. Huh. And the seat is like at least $1,000. And you can't just buy a seat for automation and you'd be on the free plan. So you need to buy two seats. 
Ouch. And keep that going. So if you want to do continuous integration deployment with Unity, you're looking at like 2000 a year minimum, and they just jacked the prices up. So now you're looking at 4K a year and minimum. And that sucks, for, especially for somebody so, like you that's not making money off of it. You do it yeah. because you like to mess with it. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, we're I not trying things. to judge. Maybe he's making money off of it. Oh, jeez. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the games are a little Still risque, so I haven't mentioned them. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I know that uh, No, No, Never Again is going to be upset with me, but <laughs> he, he that person can close their ears for a moment. But if you haven't already left a review, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And, uh, you know, if you've only left one, then, you know, now's your chance to leave another one. If you've left two, you're okay for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. For the time <laughs> being. For now. For now. And uh, with that, we head into the unnamed portion of the show that I keep trying to make a name for every time on the fly and it never works out. But here we go again. This. Gee, this is Coder. Co-party. Wait, wait a second. Co-box with, with party. Authority. <laughs> I keep this? trying about- to come up with a way to say, like, combine coding blocks and Jeopardy. And it just, every time I'm like, I got it this time. And, and then I start to say it, like, and my mouth can't, like, make those sounds. And, like, yeah, where it fails every time. I'm sorry. What if, uh, what if we called it embarrassing blocks? That's how I feel. <laughs> Ties in the name. Okay. We can go Are with embarrassing blocks. Right now? Did you win the last one? Pretty sure you Probably. did. I think Probably. I lose most of them. Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, do we pretty bad. even need to look it up? Um, <laughs> oh, <ow. laughs> uh, you know what would have been fun if we had kept like a running total of all the no, stats we should, we of should like not do that. who's yeah. winning. You know, that that's way too hard to like, do. Not even like who's on a who's on a streak, but like well, statistically, Joe wins or something like that. You know, yeah. Um, those that have a, a it, you know a gambling addiction might want to. You know, place bets as they play along. So at any rate, this is uh 218. So according to Tekka's trademark rules of engagement, Jay-Z, you are up first. Ooh. And your categories are <clears throat> Fire Island or Big Blank. Mm, this one's going to be weird. <sighs> The topic is this is Jeopardy, okay? I didn't make these categories up, okay? So it can't Disclaimer. be It can't like as as bad as it might sound, like it, how bad could it really be? Ready for my nude scene? <laughs> Bernie and Bernadette or all about alternative book characters. And lastly, everybody loves Rain Man. Oh, good luck. Uh, let's go with Big Blank. All right. Uh, Not Rain Man, huh? I'm which, an excellent which, no. Yeah. Which category? It's been which, uh, 40 years. Uh, which level? One, with, two, three, four, um, five. Big Blank. Let's go with three. Three. Step right up, ladies and gents, from acrobats to clown cars. We've got it all inside this structure. Woo, what's the big tent? No. Alan for the steal. What is the what? big top? That is oh my correct. God. Yes. I don't know what to say. Look That's at me. <laughs> the big tent. What the heck? <laughs> That's what it is. He was so confident, oh, though. Man. So confident. Oh, I was like, no. 
All right, Alan. Here's your chance to walk away with it. All right. Nude scenes. No, sorry. I have new categories, right? Sorry. How how bad can those (laughs) categories be? In... Oh, okay. Just here's an example of what those were. On this sitcom, this is a freebie if you guys get it. On this sitcom, Phoebe spied ugly naked guy having dinner with ugly naked gal. What is friends? There you go. There's only one Phoebe. I don't know of any others. So, I'm sorry, Phoebe Cates, if you're listening. Uh, see, I don't even know what that means. What? <laughs> yeah, no, it's right. gone. Wasn't she the actress from... Um, Fast times. <laughs> Got nothing, dude. What? No, come on. I'm not making this up. We go to the internets and, and I'm pretty sure if you were to look up fast times at Ridgemont high, uh, yeah. Ridgemont high. It was, wasn't it her? Am I wrong? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Phoebe Cates. I was right. Yeah. Boom. What, what year was that made? Please. While uh, you're on it, that movie's way before us. <laughs> that's Seriously. what I'm saying. 1982. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was crawling around in diapers. All right. All right. Well, here's your chance for the steal uh, or for the, you know, to go ahead and like solidify your victory. That would be nice. Your category choices are lost in exploration, books and authors. Human anatomy and physiology, sitcoms, fun with flags, starts with two vowels. Ooh. Ooh. Starts with two vowels for 100 because I want to win. <laughs> Level one. <clears throat> okay. Coming about 40 days after Lent begins, it's one of the few days when it's relatively safe to put all your eggs in one basket. Really? You don't know it, Joe. Come on, man. Uh, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Advent. Joe for the steal. Easter. There you go. We got a Easter game. I was looking for two vowels that were the same. Oh, oh man. Yes. Holy awesome. man. Personally, oh, I would have, I would have sitcoms every day. Like that one. I was going to, but I was like, man, how many, I was thinking two consecutive same, but oh man, whatever. Yeah. I'm like looking through some of the questions for sitcoms. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, I would have totally picked that one. Okay. Here we go. Dang. Jay Z, this is your chance to break the tie. All the way. Your your category choices are ballet and opera. <laughs> yes. And that's your choice. Not just kidding. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here you go. Facts about countries, history and comedy, politics, dog gone words. Or, uh, this one's going to be awkward. Johnny Gilbert says the number one hits. So, that you're going to hear, like, the spoken lyrics of a song, and you got to name the song. Doggone whatever, I guess. <clears throat> Man, shame on you for not picking the song one. I am so terrible with lyrics. For what was your, what was your, your level? Top level. 
one max level. Oh, he was going. Oh, five. you're going five. Going five. It's only he said so much for you, Alan. Kind we had you. Big Ten and Advent. I mean, come on, super <laughs> stars, man. This command means the dog should be on the owner's left side, no more than about six inches away from their what is heel. That's what I was gonna say. With the with the wind, man. How's that the hardest one? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I mean we're playing the 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 celebrity version of oh, this, so okay. it's not fair. And we still don't get them. <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna say it, but right, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I, I would have definitely picked the song one though. I I might not have done well with it, but I would have I would have picked the song one. Let's do one. Yeah, pick pick a random, pick the middle of the road one. The number three. Yes, is that what you're trying to say? All right. And again, I'm 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 gonna I'm speaking this. I'm not singing this. And but it's also Johnny Gilbert, so I should probably sing it, say it in like an announcer voice. You know, she's got eyes of the bluest skies, as if they thought of rain. I'd hate to look into those eyes. And see an ounce of pain. I know this. Is this uh, the Moody Blues? Um, Once upon a time. <clears throat> oh, I do know this one. What is Let's it? hear it. Let's hear it. But you got to sing it. All right. Uh, if you know it, I've been sing- walking the streets at night. Just, Just trying, trying to, to get it right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. What is November rain? Got it. No. Was that November nah, rain? Sweet no. Child. No, sweet child. Sweet child. But you were singing patience though. Yeah, I know. But I, I knew that I knew that you had the right the artist though. The yeah. band was there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that was fun. So um, with that in mind, what else can you tell me about actions? Yeah. And so kind of saved uh, not a whole lot for uh, this section and we covered a lot of it. I uh, just wanted to mention a couple of things. So I kind of touched on inputs and outputs. Uh, basically, the gist is that you can specify inputs and outputs so you can have a job and say these are my required fields or these are not required and they're defaulted. And you can also specify outputs. So uh, some stuff I did with here is like I would generate a tag. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I was building like game stuff. So I had like that the version of the game engine was part of my tag, for example. And that kind of stuff was like dynamic. And so the tags I was generating from actual game and like had the version of Godot in there and also had my build number. Uh, so things like that. So I had a little function that would do that. And then I would use that and kind of pass it on and use it for like my, you know, uploads and releases and stuff. Um, it's, uh, you know, you're doing it in YAML. It's not super fun. So, uh, you know, it does work, but that's no one ever said DevOps was fun. I don't think has anyone ever said that. Hey, so, so I have a question for you on this. Um, this goes back to when I was playing with Azure functions back in the day. Is there a lot of stuff that's done by convention? So I'll give you an example, like Azure functions, there were all kinds of ways that if you, if you structured your functions or a particular way, then things got passed in and sort of auto bound for you. Yep. So if you uh, don't do that. You can totally do it programmatically yourself and make it hard on yourself if you're not aware of the convention. So I guess what I'm asking is, is this similar to that? Like you can, if you learn about what they're doing with their hooks and their, and, and their different things, then it's real easy to hook up. 
Otherwise, you can definitely inflict some pain on yourself unbeknowing, uh, unknowingly. Yeah, so to an extent. So everything that happens on a runner, remember that's the job level, uh, it happens sequentially in steps. Everything uh, there can access information from prior steps. Okay. So if you like generate a tag in step one, step two can say steps dot step one dot, you know, result or whatever, whatever you name it. And that's fine. But to expose stuff outside of the job, you do have to explicitly set it because you don't necessarily want your next job, which could be run by a third party even, to necessarily be able to go and try to guess at variable names or other things that um, you know might be set by convention. So by default, uh, there's a hard line between things at the job level and then, of course, at the, the workflow level, which is just a step up. Okay. Sorry, I was, I was putting a quote in there about the um – Going back to our conversation about GitHub Enterprise plus the marketplace. Oh, cool. So I, I found in the documentation where they said that by default, the workflows cannot use actions from uh, GitHub.com and, and the GitHub marketplace, but you can configure it like we were suspecting. Um, were you talking about like with the, the answer that you were just giving? Was that in regards to the inputs? Yeah, inputs, outputs. Inputs, Because okay, I was questioning like, as soon as you said that, but then I like went off on my own tangent. I'm like, how, what, how, how was it? It's all input. Like, how do you have an input? It's all, uh, you know, based off of what's in my repo. But now I get yep. it that you're, you know, based on it being an input to the, from the previous you've, you've, step, from the previous step. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's similar to how, um, Azure functions work. I would imagine AWS lambdas and all those, right? Like, if you use their internal internal tools to trigger an action on a function or something, a lot of times it'll hook it up for you. You just have to know it's doing it because it's all convention based, right? Like it's 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 not necessarily obvious. Yeah, I did like the explicit nature of uh, having how you have to share stuff between jobs. Like it's very much there. If it's not listed and in plain text, it's not there. And because everything has to have a, a repository, it has to be associated with a repository that you have access to. You can always see the inputs and outputs in a uh, consistent way. Okay, nice. So no hidden you know variables, no typos, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So uh, one, overall, just oh, go ahead. I was gonna say like the one downside though that I do see. <clears throat> And you, you tell me maybe actually there is a section in here about, um, well, maybe I spoke too soon. Cause I was going to say like the one downside was that like in Azure DevOps, for example, the code, the hosting of the code, i.e. the repository, and then the pipeline to do builds and tests and everything were also like all sitting beside the ability to deploy as well. And so you could like trigger that entire thing, right? But GitHub.com isn't hosting your code necessarily. So, you know, they're assuming aside from like pages, right? Um, but they do have, I do see that they have like, oh, if you want to do deployments, they have like, you know, deploy to your cloud provider and here's how to get to Amazon or Google Kubernetes or uh, Azure. So. Yep. So there's the Helm has actions, stuff like that. Um, all the major cloud providers have hooks, DigitalOcean, you know, all of them, Linode uh, have actions set up that, that made that easy. And of course, you can always do that stuff via command line or, you know, like REST calls, whatever, if you wanted to as well. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So just overall, I just wanted to mention uh, pretty much everything uh, I said I really liked about it. I like that it's really built around Git. That to me was the, the killer feature for me personally. Uh, so it's like a, a lot of the concepts and stuff already just kind of fit really well with what I use Git for and you know, I use GitHub for. 
Uh, I couldn't find anything that it couldn't do that I was used to from some other CI CD provider. So as far, you know, as far as I can tell, it's basically a feature parity. You know, I, I did look at like uh, Circle CI to see what they said about their like on the comparison page, which of course is going to be biased for them. And the only thing that they could really say, I think I look at Travis CIT was basically that they've got some magic that makes it faster because they're smarter about caching and stuff like that. And I kind of felt like, you know, if, <laughs> if you're only, if your sales switches that we do it a little bit faster, it's kind of like, yeah. So I, I'm a little bit worried about those companies and what that might mean for competition. Uh, GitLab's got a great, uh, a great story around CI too. So I kind of feel like most organizations, if you're starting up today, you're probably going to go with GitHub or GitLab and both of them have really nice CI solutions. So kind of tough to argue with that at this point. And you'd be happy to know that they have, um, if you want to do like containerized services, they've got one for Postgres SQL. So perfect. Very nice. Yeah. I noticed Microsoft had a ton of them too. No, they seriously have like a, if I'm reading this right, like if you wanted to test that your stuff still works with whatever your database is, it looks like that's can do it, but they also have another one for Redis. There surprisingly wasn't like many listed there though. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, I did like the, the free tier of course is, is really great. Um, great way to get started without uh, spending any money. The documentation is fantastic. Uh, they have uh, a bunch of resources that we'll have in there, uh, in the show notes. So there's like a great breakdown of features, actions. There's a, a whole like kind of website dedicated to just learning GitHub actions. that will kind of walk you through uh, tutorial basically. And then once you get the, the rough hang of it, it's so, it's so easy. Uh, it's really nice. Uh, scales up to enterprise nicely too. You know, we, we mentioned, uh, you know, GitHub enterprise, you can have a hosted version of it and, uh, they've, you know, they've thought about what that means for, uh, workflows and stuff. And so if you are using that at work already, then you could pop probably start using actions already. You probably have some sort of budget of minutes, whether you use it or not. And this is the kind of thing that, um, does sit alongside, uh, other stuff really nicely. Like I mentioned, Facebook was using Circle CI for their actual builds and stuff, but they had a couple of GitHub actions for managing new issues with React and bringing on new users and stuff like that. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, you're able to kind of dip your toe in and do some stuff over here where it's good and over there where it's good and it's all good. The only downside that I ran into, and I think this is going to be a common downside, is that uh, we're working with Git, so everything's done via commit. So if you're just testing something, you're just trying something out, you're doing commits. So you're going to be wanting to do this in a branch already. Uh, but I mean, I have like a hundred something commits from this weekend when I was just trying different things and kind of exploring and messing around. So my history is terrible. But okay. One, yep. number, first of all, there's nothing you can do about it. If you were in any other kind of build pipeline, you had that same thing. You were going to have to commit, push, in order to like, you know, te- yeah. if, if you're relying on some automation to do your build that isn't local, then you already had that going on. Right. And as far as your history, I mean, you, we've talked about how to squash all of that before. So, yeah. you know, you don't have to leave all that mess. Totally. You shouldn't, you should not. Look, it's embarrassing. Looking at you, Jay-Z. Yeah. Yo, you know, this like, so I, what I did is that when I got done with my stuff, I converted it, I squashed it all down to one commit and I made it a template. So now I have a template I can use for my games going forward. So no one has to see that ever again. Uh, it was really nice. But what I was thinking, I was like compared to like a Jenkins or something. You could have a CI CD solution that's totally detached from your code and any, you know, changes you make to like Jenkins jobs. Like it's common to have like your Jenkins, you know, groovy files, whatever, 
uh, set up uh, in code. But it's also possible to like change like things about how your job is scheduled or to rerun or you know your job configs are often done just like in Jenkins. Um, so that's what I was kind of comparing to. Yeah, but I mean, I would strongly advise like even in a Jenkins world that you would you would keep that configuration in code in your repo. Yeah, like I. That's a good idea. Yeah. That's a great, that's like, that is the right idea. That's correct. Yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, what happens if you did, the alternative is if you didn't, and then you lost that server for some reason, like you just lost all your build configuration. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not that's speaking not about experience idea. or anything. Like that's <laughs> never happened to us. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the, you know, the major downside is you have to learn how to rebase, uh, which is something you'd have to do anyway. So, or you should do anyway. Rebasing is amazing. Yeah. It's not bad. Uh, yeah, so next step. So if you're interested in this, then uh, if you already have a GitHub account, you should go and start messing around today. It's uh, I think because everything we said, like it's a no brainer investment to me. There's you cannot convince me that there is a developer out there that would not benefit from learning a little bit more about how like builds and automation work. And I think that this is the prime. This is the best way to get into. It. I cannot imagine a better kind of onboarding working solution for learning more about like kind of build automation type stuff. If you've not done it before. Um, what's the ticket number that I need to be working on to do this? Number one is issue. Number one. <laughs> GitHub. I'm sold. And so just for fun, I kind of put together like a little list of ideas. So like if you've never done this before, like uh, step one, you should build your project on every pull request or trunk. There's a million examples of it. It's really simple and it's super useful. Why not? Uh, running your tests, uh, outputting test coverage, for example, running a linter or static analysis tool. Um, you can send an update, send the email to yourself every time you, uh, you know, a build fails, something like that. Uh, doing releases, auto tagging new issues, or um, if you have a an issue that hasn't, um, you know, hasn't been looked at or hasn't been closed or whatever, you can. Uh, you know, tag yourself or do something interesting with it just to kind of get the ball rolling. So there's just a couple lists, uh, list of items there that if you want to try getting started, and you're not sure what to do. We got a couple ideas there in the show notes. Okay. So you, you said here in the, in the notes though, to send an X and it took oh, me yeah. a minute to read that. I was like, yeah, is that really what everybody like the, the annoying thing is not to harp on this, but like I keep seeing so many articles that when they refer to to X would be like formerly Twitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just annoying. Cause like, all right, yeah. if we've moved on, then we've moved on. Let's just call it X and let's move on. Yeah, so it's, are we no longer, it's not clubhouse. <laughs> yeah. We're no longer tweeting. We're Xing. Yeah. That's weird. Isn't it? Yeah. No one seems to call it that. Just, yeah. It seems so awkward to say send an X. It hurt to even write it, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 not i was trying to be serious like yeah i guess you're right it's not a send an x it's just x right so you can x comma update anyway here we go here we go i actually google or no i binged i binged <laughs> yeah we already know what do you call tweeting now it's a post okay so if you want to post okay is it is a here's another one this is from Mashable. What do they call it? They should rename it expressions. That's pretty good. 
So if you want to post an expression or update LinkedIn whenever you create any release, this is a good way to do it. Yeah, whatever. All right. All right well, <laughs> this is going to be an extremely link heavy uh, episode. So you'll find a whole bunch of links in the resources we like section. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. <clears throat> and so I kind of cheated and held this back uh, during the episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, in fairness, I didn't realize it until I was basically done. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is kind of annoying because uh, what I was doing is I was editing my YAML files in github.com and I had the actions mm-hmm. right there. So it's either run, which is fine. But uh, guess what? When you do that, when you edit, as soon as you save that file, you're doing a commit. So you can't do, for example, changes to more than one file in one commit. So I would like do one file, cancel the run, go to the other files. Like, this is dumb. I wonder if there is a Visual Studio code extension for GitHub Actions. And there is. Of course. And it's beautiful. I mean, if you even look at like VS Code, it's got your files there on the left. <laughs> It's got a, a little, you know, bar on the left and it's got like a main area. It's basically the same exact UI as the website. And you don't have to do all the stupid stuff I was doing, like canceling jobs and stuff. I mean, it just works great. Uh, the, awesome. it, like you don't even have to do this stuff in uh, GitHub if you want. You can bring everything right into Visual Studio Code, which is awesome. It's sold free. and sold. Right. Yep, so we've got a link there to that extension. And I, yeah, I mean, it's it's I couldn't find anything that you couldn't do in the extension. Excellent. All right, so I've got a few. Two of them came during the show as I was thinking about things. The first one, though, had an issue come up very recently. It's very fresh in my memory, sort of painful. So if you have persistent volumes that are being terminated because something happened in your Kubernetes cluster, you might panic a little bit because maybe you had a bunch of data set up that you had for test purposes, right? Like this was a dev environment, so it wasn't catastrophic. But maybe it was a production environment or a staging environment. And you're only saving graces. They're in terminating state because the pod that it's bound to and the PVC that it's bound to has not been terminated yet. So the PV, the persistent volume, still is hanging around. There is a tool. I did not use it personally yet. I was about to. Uh, There is a tool for resetting the terminating state of the persistent volume. So in theory, in theory, this could save your bacon, right? Like if you accidentally decided that you were going to do something that was going to terminate this thing, you're like, oh, I really don't. I really don't want that to happen. This might be able to help you. Yeah. And and I don't, I haven't used this either, but uh, it's going to be a fail if after you use this thing, it doesn't play a sound that says, I'll be back. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it should. So this of course it would be a like a better flip. impersonation than that one was, but you get the idea. That's pretty excellent. So again, I have not used it. I'm putting the link here for anybody that may find themselves in a panic situation. This might be helpful. All right. So Jay Z kept saying Reactor in the show, and every time somebody says Reactor Angular, it makes my An brain angel go gets its wings. What's right? What's the what's the popular thing nowadays? Because there for a while, the three of us were all heavily involved in like web UI stuff, and I have mostly been doing back end work for 
a couple years now, uh, a lot of streaming apps. So I was curious, right? So I went to Google Trends and looked, and so they've gone away from the search volume thing that they used to have in Trends, and now it's more of a popularity thing. So if it ranks 100, then it's the most popular thing that's being searched. Um, no. It's all relative now. So it's kind of like pointing stories, if you're familiar with that garbage. So, yeah. Here's what was interesting to me is view is kind of leading the way now, which I find highly interesting. I don't, it makes me not believe this. Yeah, I really (laughs) don't because you were saying that like it's on a scale of a hundred. Yeah. If you click on that, so the interest over time, if you click that question mark next to it, it'll tell you it's relative to the highest point on the chart. So you don't have real numbers. It's all relative. Yeah, so if you if you go to like the Vue.js and you hover over United States, the search interest is a five. Wait, it, they're wait, all wait. low no, numbers. Uh, React no. is ten, and Angular is six. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. What am I doing wrong? Which one are you looking at? Compared breakdown by region or scroll Vue down JS? and they have like the different sections, view, react and angular. And you said that like it's based on a score of up to a hundred, right? So the, that's not compared though. I don't know what that number represents. Hold on. You have to click the, that's the search the interest that shows you values are calculated on a scale from zero to hundred. This is the most popular. Dude, I don't know. I don't understand this. Cause if you go to the one that says compared breakdown by region, then you'll see that the number is 53% if you mouse over the U.S. So I, I don't really know what they're doing with their numbers here. This is one thing that's always dangerous about graphs and trends in general. I think we've talked about this before, is you can't look at something and be like, oh, man, that's crazy. You have to really understand what they're trying to show, and, and I don't even know what they're trying to show here. Yeah, um, it's really confusing because like, even if you do look at it by like the U.S., right? you click into the U.S. and it'll show you by state, and there's a lot of states that just flat out don't have any data. And then there's somewhere it's like, okay, in Nevada view is a hundred percent, but react and angular are zero. So yeah, I, no I'll one in, in Nevada is curious about react and angular, or they just sense. aren't using Google search to do, to find out their information. Yeah. I don't get it now. Now here's what's interesting though. So this wasn't actually my tip, but so first on the first, the, the first graph here, they have the interest over time. It was interesting to me that view is the highest across the line. That's surprising. But really what I wanted to point out was if you go down to the chart that like what Outlaw was just talking about, where it just says Vue.js on it, you can find out the other things that people are interested in along with view. So in this case, Lodash is, is a big one. Uh, you have Rust, JavaScript, Vite.js, never heard of it, and Pania. That's another one. And also, if you go down to React, you'll see that Identity is apparently some sort of project that people are, are interested in. Netlify comes up a lot. So my tip really was, hey, if you're interested oh. in a particular framework or something like that, you can sort of find out what things are going hand in hand with it. And I think Outlaw just figured out something with this five. Yeah, I get it now. Because okay, this is this is if you if you change the thing, like if you go back to like the last five years, for example, past five years, mm-hmm. it's always view. 
for the last five years, which is like, no, it's not. That doesn't yeah, add up. And, and you have to go to like from 2004 to present before, you know, you see, you know, back in 2016 where, you know, view wasn't on the top. The, the search here is you're comparing the literal search term of view.js compared to react.js compared to angular.js. When people are talking about react, nobody's including the .js in their search. Uh, so you're saying, so you're comparing which one of these three search terms is most popular uh, in the, you know, the default length that you had there was for the past 12 months and, you know, angular JS, I could see it hitting somewhat in there because, you know, unfortunately the way they did the naming of that whole thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. But you're typically, you're going to do a search for like angular. How do I do a model view controller or whatever your question might be, right? Like how do I bind to this button? So, you know, what's interesting though, I took, man, I don't know. I took the .js off the end of it and I just did view and the numbers are the same. Really? And react, I took react.js off of it. Numbers are the same. Like I, I don't, I still don't get it or, or they're very similar, right? Like views leading the charge react is second and angular is a distant third. Oh, not but in no, mine. No, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Reacts at the top. Yeah. The colors were inverted. Reacts at the top, then then view, and then angular. Yeah. That that makes more that makes a little bit more sense. A little bit more sense to me. Yeah. So but again, going back to the the tip is this is actually kind of a nice way to see what other people are using alongside those libraries. So um yeah. Yeah, the problem for poor view though is that like you get other searches that have nothing to do with oh, yeah. the the JavaScript the library. Like, they're all like French related type searches. The top the I top sat searches. In car. I had a Saturn view. You did. Oh it, that yeah, had man. a body panel and yeah. <laughs> a few pieces of trim Mad still Max. left on it. <laughs> I love that car. Two thousand three. Uh, I thought Jay Z was making like five dollars an hour. Um, that's love that car. Yeah, he 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 truly does not care about vehicles at all. Nope. No one ever yeah. loved that car. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's true. That's true. No one ever loved it. That's true. Uh, all right, and so the last one, and this was just because Jay Z said the the rebase thing, a redo. So <laughs> one thing that always bugged me, and I had to look it up many many times over the years. If I did a rebase, I was like, man, am I rebasing onto the branch I'm checked out on? Or am I rebasing um, to the stuff that I'm pulling from? Like, it, it just didn't make sense because it was sort of a nebulous term. And we talked about this during our Git episodes. Episode you know, 193. 193. So we talked about this, and it's actually such an easy way to just get your mind straight without having to guess at anything. If... If you branched off dev, for instance, right, or or trunk, and you start making changes to your stuff, and then you want to pull in the latest changes from your trunk, you can basically say git pull origin trunk dash dash rebase equals I. And that's basically saying, hey, bring me in the latest changes from my trunk, and then let me rebase on top of that in this branch that I'm checked out on right now. And so it, it, it allows you to mentally do that in place, at least me anyways. And that, that helped clear it up. We specifically talked about this very thing in episode 193, 
because I remember at the time I, I always do dash dash rebase equals true. Mm. And, and that would just let it, uh, you know, it would, it would do the rebasing for you. It would rebase all of your commits on top of whatever the light, the latest was from the branch that you're, you're rebasing from. And I, I remember talking about it at the time, just being like a creature of habit to where like, I wasn't going like, you know, looking at like, Oh, what new options might be there. And one of the, the I was for interactive and you pointed it out at the time that you could do a dash dash rebase equals interactive. And my mind was blown. I was like, wait, what? Because yeah. it was, it was the, cause it was the equivalent of being able to squash. If you wanted to squash your commits, you know, it brings up an editor and it's, you know, two E kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe Jay Z would say it's not a two E, but I have mine in visual studio code, by the way. Yeah, whatever. No, it does that. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it would allow you to pick what actions you wanted to perform on those various commits. Hey, so I for, put a for, link to episode 193 in the notes though. And for those that don't know what a rebase is it, real quick, we're not going to go super deep on, on Git, but you've been making changes. You make a commit, you make a bunch of other changes, you make a commit. Well, there's also a hundred other developers making changes in your same repo. When you pull those changes in to your branch, your changes are going to get interspersed with all theirs, right? Depending on the times that they were committed. So a rebase says, Hey, I don't want mine all mixed in with everybody else's. I want them all done consecutively at the end of everything. Right. And so that you can see all your stuff consecutively. So that's why you do a rebase is so you can see all your changes side by side, you know, all in a row in the Git log, uh, the commit log. And, and the squash thing that the outlaw just said, it's even cooler than just saying squash. If you had 10 commits in there, you can choose which ones you want to squash, right? Like, so it, like Jay-Z's always said, you know, I'll commit, I'll commit stuff that's completely broken, right? Um, because I just, you know, I want to check it in so that I don't have to worry about it. Well, later on, you don't want somebody to accidentally go to that commit where it's broken so when you do your rebase, you can say, Hey, I want to squash this particular commit. So it, it, it merges it with the previous commit, right? Or, or the, or the next commit. So, so that you don't have that same Git history still floating around with a broken branch. It, it was even, you know, there was a lot more to it than just that too. Right. Like, remember you could reorder commits if you, you wanted delete to, them. you could edit commits. Yeah. You, you could delete them. So like there are a bunch of cool things in that, um, Tui that you could, you could uh, choose to do on those, on those commits and don't punish yourself. Don't use the two. Go ahead and set up, See, Git to use visual studio code. I as so your editor. strongly disagree with this statement. <laughs> no dude. I love the visual no. studio code integration. I think, I think, I think yes, you know, okay, fine. Use visual studio. We all use visual studio code. Visual studio code is great, but I can't get behind like, encouraging people to not use like every time you have an opportunity to practice your VI skills, like keep that muscle strong because I mean, I you agree. laugh it off, but I mean like no, I you're going to get into environments to where like you might be lucky if you even have VI, right. You know, like especially like you might shell into a container and then you're like, Oh, I need to, I, I want to try something. And you know, maybe, maybe you're lucky that you have VI on that. So I'm strongly of the opinion that if one of the few times that you have to practice and, and, and keep that muscle strong is when you do this rebate interactive rebasing, then fine. Cause you've already using 
uh, code for all your heavy lifting. Don't let that become your crutch to where you forget how to do these other things. Uh, I guess I don't feel so bad about it because I use VI in so many other situations that I, that I'm that I am okay loving my VS Code experience with the rebase. Yeah, fair point. I, yeah, I mean, if that's you too, then fine. Yeah, then I I will concede that. But uh, you know, as a oh, general rule of thumb, I'm not going to like recommend that. You know, oh. I, I if people have the opportunity to practice their VI skills, then by all means, go for it. So and, it. I'm, and before you talk to me about practicing your Emacs skills, we're going to go step outside. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> No, they still do. It's I know still, there it's are a lot very of people wildly used. Yes, it's crazy. Yeah, it's all right. So, hey, check this out. So, um, I've been doing a bunch of Docker stuff lately, and I thought, hey, I wonder if there's like a linter for Docker files. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, I would like to make sure that my Docker files are best practices using best practices, right? Well, there's a couple. And from what I could find, like the one that is uh, more widely used or popular is the Haskell Haskell Dockerfile linter. And I'm not sure if this is how they meant to pronounce it, but I call it Hadolint. So H A D O Lint. Um, I'll have there. I'll have a link for the show notes to the to the GitHub repo. But you can just brew install this thing and then run it against your Docker file and it'll point out all kinds of cool things. Like how many times have you done something like an app get install or an APK add of some packet, like curl, for example, right? Now, when you did that, did you pin it to a specific version of curl or did you just app get install curl? Can we abstain from answering? Yeah, that that's what I thought you might say, right? <laughs> but it, that, those are the type of things that it's going to like point out like, oh, you should you should do that. Or if you did like an ad instead of a copy, it's going to call you out and say like, no, 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 you should really use a copy command here and not an ad. Um, so there's a bunch of cool little things that it'll point out that, you know, you're doing wrong. Um, that's know. quite lovely. Oh, you know, uh, something I, I recently learned, I, I don't know why I never thought to do this before, but when you uh, add or, or copy, you can uh, do a change mod or shmod or shown on it at the time of the copy, uh, which is a good idea to me. Like there's been lots of times when I would actually set the permissions on the file before I would check it in. But that's kind of dumb because a lot of times you don't really expect that script to be run by the person who's checking out the repository, right? You want to run by, you know inside the container. So why try to mess with that stuff and possibly have it set up, you know, or screwed up by somebody else when they're working on it, when you can just set the permissions that should be there at the time you copy it in. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Just so basically just uh, dash dash shmod or dash dash own. CH mod, uh, CH own for all the normal folks yeah. out there. Joe said he was weird at the top of this episode. I got that from outlaw. Hey, I totally understood exactly what he was talking about. He's speaking my love shmod. language and shmod. He 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 shmoned my heart. Yep. So <laughs> shmon shmon. You do say shmon. Why? There's no end. I'll take it. Yeah. Um. Wait, did I say it with an M? Yeah. Well, own shmon. Just C H own though. It sounds like yeah. Michael Jackson. Shmon. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm even sitting on my tippy toes when I say it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I want to see the moonwalking uh, the video All right. to go along yeah. with this. Hey man, I will. I will, I could backwards or forwards. Which way? Really? Can you? I 
Can I? Of course uh, I can. We'll have a we're video. Gonna have, we're gonna have a breakdancing competition. I will, <laughs> sir, meet you in the streets. Me and Turbo, <laughs> we're gonna meet up with you. You are in trouble. Oh, that's amazing. Somebody's gonna get that reference. But in the meantime, Alan never will. But nope. subscribe to us on uh, you know whatever your platform of choice are, and that's the end of the show. Bye. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here. Look, is it from the man? Whatever. (laughs) I'm going to break him of habits. I will. I I will break you. I'm like, uh, Drago. No, am I pronouncing that right? Was that right? Drago was from Rocky. Yeah. I will break you. You pull it. Like, what is it with eighties references for you? Is it, that might even be seventies. When did Rocky Rocky come out? Yeah. Well, no, that's like Rocky three, right? With, (laughs) Hey, Joe, do you know, no. Okay, good. Come on. You guys give me such a hard time. Rocky, 1976. Yeah. How are we pulling out references from over 45 years ago? No, but no, no, no. That, that, my, the reference that I gave was not a Rocky 1 reference. I mean, who would do that? Actually, no, Rocky 4. What am I thinking? Rocky 4. Of course it's Rocky 4. Of course. Rocky three was nineteen eighty two. We're still talking forty years. But Rocky four, <laughs> Rocky four is nineteen eighty. Uh, what was that one? Eighty five. And you obviously aren't keeping up with any of the uh, Creed movies because then uh, you would I'm, know that it's also very relevant to. I'm not. Well, I'm not going to ruin. You know, spoiler. Oh, they box, don't they? <laughs> How? <laughs> you haven't watched the Creed movies? Dude, I, I've got kids in high school. I don't have any personal time, man. None. Like, zero personal time. Are you doing time. their homework for them? I have to sit with them to make sure. Well, one of them does it. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. No, it's ridiculous. Okay, man. I'm just saying maybe somebody should, like, watch... The latest one is Creed three, and it's kind of relevant to this conversation. So, okay. and that's twenty twenty three. So, hey, hey, and the Turbo Meet Me in the Streets is that snail movie by Pixar, I think. Snail <laughs> movie. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was so not. Oh, okay. So that's totally not it. <laughs> uh, it's. <amazing. laughs> Oh man, do you really? <laughs> I Google or I binged it. That's probably why. It's That's wrong. why your answers are wrong. You binged uh. it. Now, now I'll give you credit on that one. The turbo reference that that's that's old. Like it's pretty good. If I called out ozone, that none of that like rings a bell. What? No. What if I said electric boogaloo? Does that ring a bell? No. Isn't that a song? Okay. <laughs> you don't remember the movie Breaking and Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo? Never heard of it. And Turbo was one of the characters. You got nothing from to... the movie. Nope. I mean, I'm not I saying saw I saw it. saw it. I've heard of it. I know the title. A I've fr- seen. I saw jokes. it for a friend. His friend <laughs> saw it, and he told me about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool. familiar with the jokes. His name was you know, Schmeichel. Pop culture. And he saw it. <laughs> he schmodded. Yeah. He schmoed He was like, oh man, check out Turbo. He's got the cool jacket. Oh man. It's awful. 
Hey, subscribe to us, please. <laughs> yeah, and uh, leave us those three star reviews. Got them. Good God, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? We were doing so good. Uh, I give. Three up. Three plus. Yeah.